0: I mean, well, this sort of music. I mean, Another sort of music. UKCR-FM New York. This is Jazz Alternatives. That is a live recording, as you no doubt could tell, of the band Weather Report, recorded in 1980, February 4th of that year at the Fox Theater in Atlanta, Weather Report, Joe Zavinul on keyboards, Wayne Shorter, tenor and soprano saxophones, Jaco Pastorius playing the bass, Peter Erskine on the drums, Bobby Thomas Jr. percussion, and that was the title track of an album they had recently released then called 830. My name is Mitch Goldman. You are listening to Jazz Alternatives tonight on WKCR, something we do from time to time here. We call it Deep Focus. And tonight, returning guest, keyboardist Brian Charette is here. Brian, welcome back to WKCR. So nice
1: to be here. I love coming on your show. This is is fun. The last
0: one of these, we had a blast.
1: Yeah. And uh, I think... Tonight, Ethel Smith.
0: Ethel Smith. I hope you got to hear that show because...
1: The original Latin from Manhattan. That
0: was, that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I'd never heard of her. You turned me on to that. Yeah,
1: she's, she's my maybe my biggest influence for Oregon. Well, uh, you and I have been uh,
0: cooking this thing up for the last few days, listening to all these fantastic live recordings of the group Weather Report and also in particular of Jaco Pastorius. Mm-hmm bassist who came to prominence with Weather Report in the late 70s, early 80s, and uh, we have too much great stuff to play. It's true. So I'm very excited about it, and I'm also really excited about drawing you out because you have uh, great familiarity with, with the music and with uh, some of the innovative things that Joe Zobinul was doing at that time. And
1: uh, Well, Jocko and Joe, they were both very influential. To me, I think everybody that is an instrumentalist playing jazz music, you know, um,
0: huge. Talk about that a little bit. I'm wondering if people now realize that uh, how long a shadow Jaco Pastorius cast and still does for a lot of people. But at, at that time,
1: how shaping that was. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's definitely one of the most important Electric bassist. I think anybody who plays bass would say that. Um, And Zawinol is is also a very, very important keyboardist. You know, maybe to the same level of a Jocko. You know, and they were kind of the first band to really integrate. um, Well, I guess there was a couple bands, but they were kind of the first band to be very, very almost straight-ahead jazz in the rhythm section, and on top would be all of these percolating. Uh, synthesizers, Um, and for me, you know, especially getting more interested in playing electronic music when I was starting to play music years ago, that was the band that you listened to when you wanted to understand about playing a Moog solo. Um, That was the band that bass players would listen to if they wanted to understand about playing a bass line for some crazy fusion song, you know. Um, They were kind of the blueprint for all of that, so that's why they're so important. You know? And uh well in Zavinol's case it's interesting
0: because it was uh it was brand new. Mm-hmm. Nobody had done it before. Mm-hmm. This technology was being developed. I imagine he's probably one of the guys that you know the manufacturers were.
2: Uh-huh.
1: I think basically it was like him, Herbie, and Keith Emerson, maybe. I'm not sure of that, but that's what I've heard. That those guys and yeah, they had a relationship with Bob Moog and with all of these other companies, I'm sure. Um, and it was brand-new technology, you know, so it was a very exciting time. Yeah. And Jocko,
0: just um, in terms of concept, I mean, that that sound, yeah. that, that singing fretless.
1: Well, you know, we were listening to these all these different concerts, and it's like after his solo, you know, people would go bananas. And it's almost like a joke in jazz, like the bass solo, everybody is... You know, but not when Jocko plays Actually, a bass. It's not so almost well. like a joke. Well, I don't want to be offensive to <laughs> bass players, but it's kind of like it has a, a stigma no, of yeah, being. You know, tell yeah.
0: Well, they'll tell jokes about anybody. Right, right. they are drummer jokes. There yeah, there are, yeah, etc. But yeah. yeah, that is that is a. Cliche. So and that's
1: yeah. why he's so amazing to me because he was so important in that band. Like the way he played the time, the way he played the bass line, the sound of the fretless bass, um, iconic. You know. That's a little bit of an overview about uh,
0: the, the shaping influence of these guys. Um, also something that cannot go unmentioned is how hugely popular they were at the time. Mm-hmm. This was a band, I mean, the Fox Theater in particular where this gig is, is a large venue in New York. They were mm-hmm. playing uh, the Beacon Theater. Um, we've got some live recordings from Hammersmith Odeon, which is a sig- very significant venue in London. They're, they're a huge band and they even, maybe a little later, we'll get to some live recordings of, uh, they had giant,
2: mm-hmm.
0: giant, at least one pop tune, like mainstream mm-hmm. pop tune.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, so this was a band of massive public acceptance and people would show up and listen to this instrumental, very complex music by the thousands all over the world Mm -hmm.
1: and which is what we're all trying to do now as artists we're trying to get the same kind of excitement going for our music you know which is hard um, with the shorter attention span and smartphones and pop songs that are two minutes long even much more now maybe than then you know so I think that's why we also look at Weather Report what are they doing that is working that's hooking all of these people you know um and in the writing too, especially of Jocko, we were talking about that the songs have incredible hooks and bass lines, and they're memorable. You know, um,
0: what do you think? You you write music as well. Uh-huh. Do you, when you listen to this, does it sound like these guys are trying to write radio hits, or does it sound? Like it they're... just sound.
1: I come away from it thinking, oh my God, this is top level everything. You know, the best technology. Um, the best technique of the instrumentalists, um, great compositions, um, a fertile environment for it to grow in. It just seemed like, yeah, it's working, you know, um, which is tough to get at playing instrumental music now, especially in this country, you know, um, yeah, I come away from it feeling, look at all these, these guys are all brilliant, you know, and like really in the forefront, uh of music at that time.
0: There uh, I also get the sense that they are hanging up, they're they're all breathing together. They're all right. hanging on what what another are doing mm-hmm. and responding. I mean sounds,
1: Well, I think we were talking about this before too. It has a fly, I call it a fly off the handle element where they're all playing great, but it sounds like at any moment it can just fly off the rails and I just know myself playing music in New York City nobody ever plays two nights in a row you know right um so it's a little harder to get to that place that comes after you've really been doing it together for a very long time and a group starts to have a voice as a group
0: talk about that a little bit more if you would that fly Mm -hmm. off the handles thing because we were talking about that off mic
2: Um,
1: to me I don't know if it's even easy to put it into words I can just li- when I listen to Jaco Pastorius in particular in this band he it just has such an it has teeth I say you mm-hmm. know and it grabs me just the way, the way he's articulating the notes his intention of ideas is just it grabs me um, and I can listen to someone who is great at playing music but they don't have this quality and it, it doesn't make as much of a an impact on me you know it's it's a very magical nebulous thing and i don't think there's this thing and this thing and this thing together add up to that happening but people to me like jaco pastorius have it um when they're playing music i get the feeling that it's just there's a direct link to wherever it's coming from in their mind or the you know uh, out there and going through their fingers and coming out and there's no middleman there's no thinking um they're just a vessel for that to come out of, you know, and that's what it sounds like to me when I hear these guys.
0: I quite agree. I mm-hmm. think you put it very well. And and this to me is a uh, high watermark for this band. I mean, maybe you could pick any live date and say mm-hmm. that about it. But uh, Jaco joined Jaco Pastorius joined Weather Report in 1976, and uh, there's several albums that he's on, and his popularity and the band's popularity soared during this period of time. Now we're uh 1980, and th- we're getting to the end of his tenure in this band. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of his own stuff going at the time. He's also associated during this whole period with Joni Mitchell. He made mm-hmm. a number of albums mm-hmm. with and toured with, um, along with a number of other great musicians that deserves its own attention mm-hmm. one night. But um, he's, uh, I guess his band is getting ready to explode or reform and there's even yet another great version of weather report to come although as another we we've been talking about this a lot off mic there are people who are jocko era weather report that fans. would be me <laughs> now if you're enjoying the show and you're saying come on guys play some more music which we will do in a moment let me also say we are going to visit the alfonso johnson era of weather report Six weeks from tonight, Vernon Reed's going to be our guest. Mm-hmm. who's also a diehard. And um, so this is uh, this moment shortly before Jocko went on to do other things. There's all kinds of stories about what led to that, which are less interesting to me to listen to than some more of the music, perhaps. Do you uh, anything you want to say about that track in particular, 8:30 that we were listening to?
1: Oh, I just think it's interesting. We were listening to the 76 shows, too, and, you know, Joe Zalwinel has these new keyboards, so it's very interesting from, like, 1975 to 1985, let's say. Whatever kind of music you're listening to, you can almost tell what year it is by, like, the keyboard that they yeah, have. Yeah, if you know yourself <laughs> yeah, well, as you do. Well, sometimes, yes, but that sounds like a Waldorf PPG to me. Um,
0: I, I Doug, uh, you explained to me that particular sound, and maybe you can... Sample and hold. Exactly. Ah,
1: So on some of these keyboards, like the mono keyboards, they would have a feature called sample and hold. Um, And keyboardists will know this. It's kind of a fast way to get some really strange sounds. Um, I had a Moog source that had, I don't know if you remember that silver Moog, um, that would do this. So you would hold a note down, enable this sample and hold function, and then you get all of these very random notes, you know, from just holding that one note. So if you're playing a bunch of notes, if you're playing a line on the keyboard, you get some very strange, like, uh, atonal kind of sounds. And he was doing this on this last track a little bit, you know. And that's kind of part of Joe Zawinul's sound to me. He would really use the pitch bend mm-hmm. and the sample hold feature. There was an octave feature on these keyboards that would go up and down. Um, and he would use it very expressively, you know, in his solos. He uh, must've just spent a tremendous amount yeah, of time. Yeah. With these, I mean, it be, uh-huh. became an extension of him. Right. And you know, it's also, I know you want to play some more music. No, and I want to no, talk I too wanna, much, but. No, there's no too much. There was also less choices back then. Like now, let's say if I have my laptop and I have 10 virtual synthesizers pulled up, the palette will almost be too big, you know, and they, even though they have these keyboards and they were using a lot of them, um, it was still very minimal you know and one of these keyboards was like an instrument had maybe 30 sounds that were different and you could shape that sound with all of these knobs you mm-hmm. know so it was much less in a way but to me created much more expressive music with these strange incidental little factors like sample and hold and stuff like that
0: were they were these polyphonic keyboards could you play more a lot notes?
1: of them were not you had to play one note at a time yes some of them were and that changed through the 80s I guess in 1976 I don't think there was I know they had a poly Moog I don't know if his arps I know he was playing an arp that might have been polyphonic but no, none of them almost none of them
0: were and in, we were, were talking about some of that 76 stuff which we may or may not get to tonight mm-hmm. he's still playing like Fender Rhodes and stuff right, like that which right is right obviously mm-hmm. at that point already even a throwback to a mm-hmm. prior era and mm-hmm. obviously not what he's hearing he's hearing all this other stuff mm-hmm. that he's trying to get to mm-hmm. and then a a lot of the evolution of this band, which was, they formed around 1970 and lasted through 70, through 86, 16 years, a pretty healthy lifespan mm-hmm. for a band, mm-hmm. but a uh, tremendous parade <laughs> yeah. of very vibrant, distinct voices of people that came through this band. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yet, as you said, it's got a distinctive sound. And uh, I think a lot of that evolution People think of it as co-led by Savinul and uh, Wayne Shorter, but I, I think I tend to think more and more that Savanul was the driving force of that—that mm-hmm. that will to change. Mm-hmm. And clearly, he's got it. Just as you say, listening to the sounds of what he's playing. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, let's another track, shall we? Yes. You are listening to WKCR. My name is Mitch Goldman. We call this program Deep Focus, six to nine p.m. on Mondays. Brian Sheret, our guest tonight. Brian, you have a big gig coming up. I want to get into talking about it a little bit later, but you're at Smalls Thursday night.
1: That's right. I have a sextet, which is like a wind ensemble and organ group. It's very unusual.
0: And this is you've been. Uh, I don't know if it's <laughs> true, but somebody's been going around saying this is the last gig you're doing in. 10 well, I'm
1: going to be. I'm going to be in Europe for months and months. I'm coming back in December, and then I'm. Going back again. So I'm going to be kind of away from New York a little bit next year. All right. So mm-hmm.
0: Thursday's Thursday's the send-off. That's
1: my last show before I go. Well, I'm going to California first. But that's my last show in New York until I won't even be back here until December 1st. All right. Smalls on
0: Thursday with Brian Shrett. Brian's our guest, I'm very happy to say, because uh, I'm, I'm loving listening to this music with you. We've got this fantastic live recording of Weather Report, the Fox Theater in Atlanta, 1980. And this is Madagascar on WKC.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank <laughs> you. I'm going
0: was just one more night in a club. This one happened to be here in New York. Actually, that's not true. That's not a coincidence that this was in New York, is it, Brian?
1: Hard to say. Hard to say. I've spent a long time trying to figure that one out.
0: <laughs> it's true. <laughs> well, it was in New York, which was where Jaco Pastorius lived. and uh, So this has kind of got a, to me, this has a hometown vibe. Mm-hmm. We are exploring live recordings of Jaco Pastorius, both on his own as a leader, shall I say, and as a member of the band Weather Report. My name is Mitch Goldman. Brian Charette is my guest tonight for this program we call Deep Focus. Brian Sextet is playing Thursday night at Smalls. And um, thoughts on listening to Jaco in this extraordinarily casual environment. And relatively simple music to this non musician's ear, and yet Jocko's bringing all kinds of stuff to it.
1: Well, his first thing that strikes me about listening to this record is the use of his effects. Um, like he's using an Octavia and a, a distortion, and you usually don't hear, I mean, I guess now you hear more bassists using effects, but like that, like distortion and for soloing and stuff, not so much. Um, can you uh, unpack that a little bit, the Octavia, for instance? Octavia is, um, I can't what is? maybe it's made by Jim Dunlopsey. I don't know the answer to that, but it's a ve- very early stomp effect. Box. It's a stomp box. And it was a distortion, but it would make these strange partials depending on what note you were playing. Uh, and you would get kind of an atonal kind of sound. A little later in this disc, there's also a ring modulator um, which is kind of the same idea, even a little bit more so without the distortion. So, you know, it's rare to hear bass p- play it as a solo instrument, first of all, um, to this degree. Um, it's basically the only thing happening so far on this music that we've heard um, from, this, uh, from this set. And he's playing through all these weird effects, bebop, you know, yeah. like through crazy distortion. And sometimes it's too loud. And, and this you is know.
0: 1985. He's, he's done it. He's toured the world, he's played the huge venues, he's played on these award-winning, giant-selling albums. You know, none of that is new to him, And but here's this seething personality to make it new, to hear something mm-hmm. new, to explore something to find some new sound in this instrument that mm-hmm. he's mastered for the years base of years. doom they call it the base of doom mm-hmm. that was his name for the instrument mm-hmm. itself yeah mm-hmm. and uh so he's he is seeking mm-hmm. and he is finding
1: yeah he's a true artist obviously you know um every time i hear him i'm just blown away by the intention that the, the it's ferocious, you know, and a lot of times when people think of jazz music, and I think of this even with newer jazz groups, if I was going to be critical about one thing in general about jazz groups I hear, it's that it's not intense enough. It's not rock and roll enough. I mean, I know that sounds ridiculous talking about jazz, but he's, to me, playing, he has all of the know-how of jazz and playing it with like a rock sensibility, which is, Kind of where I'm coming from, too, you know, much to the dismay of some. (laughs) Um, But, you know, he wasn't – sometimes when I hear jazz people now, I feel like they've ignored music that's happened from, you know, I don't know, 1960 onward, sometimes even earlier, some other people. Um, And these guys are not doing that. You know, they're taking influences from, you know, if we were talking about Weather Report – ethnic music um this percussion stuff um is coming from a different place that's not really the way it was being used in jazz music you know so these guys are paying attention to what's going on he's playing with Joni Mitchell um so he's got all of these influences that are informing what he's playing you know um and I think it's great
0: I'm loving it I'm <laughs> loving it we've been doing this since 6 p.m. I hope you're not just joining us because this has been a really exciting program and um not only because these recordings are not available to the general public, that's part of it, but much more because we're finding all this great music. And Brian, the insight you're giving into your perspective on this is fascinating to me and uh, says quite a bit about who you are and the music that you play. Well,
1: he's this, you know, he's one of my biggest influences, not even for the music as much of of his, I keep on saying his intensity, you know. For myself, I'm trying to write and play jazz music that has that edge, that doesn't sound safe or overly intellectual, you know. And that, even though he's playing very intellectual things, he's executing it in a way that's so raw to me that it's it has teeth, you know. And that's what I'm looking for when I listen to instrumental music.
0: I, I think a lot of what you're saying, too, you could say about what Charlie Parker did you can mm-hmm. say it about what Colson sure, did you can say it sure. about what Bud Powell
1: did there was an int- there was an Im- immediacy and an intensity to it you know
0: and a, and a personal quality
1: well it's you can coming- hear their wheels turning too I yeah. mean these are people that were obsessed with doing this you know that was kind of the only thing to them and that's why so many of them the rest of the areas of their lives were such a mess you know Yeah. because they were so obsessed with music um, yeah yeah
0: yeah, no, I'm I'm uh, remembering my limited interactions with Jaco Pastorius mm-hmm. in particular, including here. I don't know if I mentioned this, that um, shortly after I started here, he turned up as a guest on a program, and um, he was kind of the same sort of way, but it, it was so aggressively... Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was it was difficult mm-hmm. it was difficult to be around mm-hmm. honestly but but uh fascinating mm-hmm. at the same time you know um well let's go to we were talking about 1976 being a pivotal year and all mm-hmm. these really significant recordings that he was part of and we have a rather astonishing document in mm-hmm. the the form of a live audio
1: recording. His first band with weather, his first gig with Weather Report, his, right? The
0: very first performance he mm-hmm. ever did as a member of Weather Report was on. Sounds like I am making this up. Fourth of July. Fourth uh, of July mm-hmm. on April first, mm-hmm. on April mm-hmm. Fool's Day, <laughs> in Ann Arbor, Michigan. As I comb through these pages. To oh, the I problem. got it right here. No wonder I can't find it. <laughs> and uh, do you want to talk about this? Hmm, go Why ahead. Ta- well, this was okay. We've uh, the members of the band at this point. Not listed on this, but we know obviously it's Joe Zabow mm-hmm. on keyboards, Wayne Shorter mm-hmm. playing saxophones, mm-hmm. Jaco Pastori is playing bass for the first time with this band, and I think we're talking about Alex Acuna on drums, mm-hmm. Manolo Badrena on percussion. And uh, what is the piece that you have selected for us? Scarlet Woman. That? Shall we? Shall we? It's a Deep Focus on Jaco Pastorius, his first gig. This is the first gig he ever did. This is, once again, not something you're going to find in the record store that no longer exists. But if you did, you wouldn't find it there. (laughs) But we have it for you tonight from the KCR archives. Brian Charette is my guest. He's performing Thursday night of this week at Smalls in the heart of the village. Music from Weather Report featuring Jaco Pastorius on WKCR. Jaco Pastorius's first gig ever with Weather Report. April 1st, 1976 in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And uh, now compared to that, the first piece of you've been listening with us since 6 o'clock and we heard Jaco after four years with these mm-hmm. guys when the whole band had almost been reconfigured around his sound and the contributions he was making. Contrast to this?
2: Well...
1: There's also not as many synthesizers in 1976, so Joe uh, Zawinul is missing a few of his pieces that he had. So we're hearing a Rhodes, um, like some sort of mono synth, and maybe an ARP. So his he has less that he's working with too. Um, and it's to, a much simpler sound. To me, it's a little simpler, um, but I hear that the, all the elements are there. You know. Um,
0: well, part two of this program. Brian Charette, if you were going to hear it, you're going to be listening. I imagine at WKCR, www.wkcr.org, from the European continent. Yes. Because you will be there for most of the balance of this year. Yeah. But uh, September 12th, Vernon Reed will be here. We are going to go back a page into uh-huh. the Alfonso Johnson
1: era. Mm-hmm.
0: We have some great live recordings of that. So that's uh, a uh, a continuation mm-hmm. of this program. Mm-hmm. If you blink your eyes for six weeks. Um, Firon Aklaf will be here two weeks from tonight And Brandon Ross will be here four weeks from tonight So we got a lot of stuff coming up But uh, Brian Charette is our guest tonight Brian, you are at Smalls on Thursday, Thursday night at 9.30 mm-hmm. It's your farewell because uh-huh. you're heading to the continent And you'll uh-huh. be there with the sextet uh-huh. Much to look forward to um, We're running out of time I think we have time for one more piece of music and I'm just uh, wondering if you have some summary thoughts before we go into that last piece
1: well for me personally this has been a great show because I feel inspired now by you know from listening to Jocko for three hours you know and that's for an artist like me that's what we're looking for we're just looking for something to inspire us to get to the next thing you know really it's it's all about that for me, and uh, I can't say enough how much this this band, Weather Report, and Jocko, and all of them actually as individuals, Wayne Shorter even in his earlier yeah, straight yeah, ahead that. jazz music, I mean, these are like some of my biggest influences, you know, um, so it's great for me to be able to talk about them and listen to their music with you. I, uh, well, great thanks to you for coming up tonight. My pleasure.
0: What... Is the last piece of music that we're going to hear tonight? The
1: last piece is from a concert in London at the Hammersmith Odeon in 1983, called "Donia." So this is uh, a little bit expanded. This is actually the Jaco Pastorius band. Um, has a little more has a few more people than we've been listening to. Um, has Mike Stern on electric guitar, Delmore Brown on keyboard, Ron Thule on trumpet, Alex Foster on tenor, Kenwood Denard on drums, and Don Elias on percussion. With Jocko on electric bass, of course.
0: My name is Mitch Goldman. This is WKCR-FM New York. It's been a great pleasure bringing you this music from the WKCR archives. And I want to see you Thursday night at Smalls, 9.30 p.m., Brian Charette's Sextet. Music from Jocko Pastorius from London, 1983 on WKCR. date was august 1st 2011 brian Charette, my guest and the subject was the band weather report it was a three-hour broadcast but that uh hour and 30 some minutes that you just heard is all we have of it we jokingly refer to wkcr as the home of technical difficulties um now you know why and um we are just so thankful to have what we do have can't worry too much about the things we don't have. Wish I did. If you have it, if you happen to tape the show that night, well, let me know. A good way to do that is to find us on Instagram. It's Deep Focus Podcast. You could follow and find out about upcoming programming and get all kinds of cool information and uh, it's a good way to get feedback back to me. And let me also encourage you if you haven't, you could subscribe to this podcast. Uh, you could probably find Deep Focus on your favorite podcasting app. You can always find us on our hosting site, which is Podbean. So the address would be mitchgoldman.podbean.com. And let me also recommend that you take the opportunity to follow along with what Brian Charette is doing. B-R-I-A-N-C-H-A-R-E-T-T-E. You can go to charette.com. You can find him on all the socials. And uh, he's a busy boy he's constantly touring all over the world or he will be when we're out from under this coronavirus and he's got a bunch of great um recordings available so get on with him and uh thanks for being along